You're listening to the Coventry Sphinx podcast. You can follow the fortunes of our football club on Twitter, where we're at Coventry Sphinx or at commentarysphinx.co.uk. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. For more podcasts from Sphinx Football, visit sphinxfootball.com. Welcome to episode three of the Coventry Sphinx podcast with me, Chris Nee, and Sean Thomas, one of our club's joint managers. This is a podcast about a football club from one Saturday to the next and everything in between. We are not yet certain when FA Cup and league football will begin, and we're not yet sure when we'll be able to open our doors to the community once more. The coronavirus pandemic has had much more severe consequences than anything to do with football, but the fact is the situation in non-league football is approaching crisis point, and we need, very simply, to let fans in. Anyway, this week we'll look back on our second pre-season friendly against Coastal Town last Saturday. 2-1 defeat but a very decent performance and lots of minutes in the legs which is obviously key at this stage of the season. I'll get Sean's thoughts ahead of the next one which is against Harborough Town away this coming Saturday and we'll put the spotlight on the people that allow Sean, John Woodward, his joint manager and their team to play football, the coaching team around them and a quick exploration of what it is that they do on match days and in between. We begin with a match day, the most recent friendly against Coastal Town. I'm here again with Sean Thomas, one of our joint managers at Coventry Sphinx, and we're going to start by talking about our second pre-season friendly, which was a 2-1 defeat here at Sphinx Drive against Coastal Town last Saturday, which ordinarily, Sean, would have been our last game of pre-season. Difficult circumstances this summer in particular. Did you get what you wanted from that match? Yeah, I think it um, overall, I think it was a good performance by the lads. We uh, used 19 players and they all got a good amount of minutes. And I think when you looked at the game, I think Kozel really controlled the first half and looked like a step four side. And we dug in and again, there wasn't a great deal of chances um, in the first half. And then I think second half, we had better at the half. And again, there weren't a great deal of chances. I think you could argue that all three goals were possibly things that could have been avoided by both teams. But Definitely 19 lads all got minutes again and the tempo is there. And I think when we spoke last time, Chris, we we were talking about being compact and being competitive. And I think we certainly were. And we thought 1-1 was was on balance a good result. And um, unfortunately, Kozel scored that second goal just towards the end. And and that was that, really. How much does the result matter or not matter in a game like that? You spoke last last week about not wanting to lose, which seems obvious to football people. But when it's also about fitness, it's maybe not as obvious as it seems. Yeah, so I think... As I touched on it just then, 1-1 I think was a fair result and I think that was most probably what the game was looking like it was going to end up in. But again, when you play good sides, they can score from from all areas of the pitch and unfortunately we had a little bit of a, a giving of the ball away in, on our halfway line and they put the lad in and they scored. And so despite it being a pre-season friendly, it sort of rankled with me over the last couple of days that it wasn't 1-1 because then you, you're unbeaten still in pre-season. But again, whilst there's no... Um, three points on the line and, and things like that there's no point stewing on it too much and, and beating yourselves up and going over it in your, in your heads I think you just move on to the next one and we did uh, get out of it what we wanted Does losing that game instead of drawing it have any effect on how you um, respond to that game from a coaching point of view even though it's a friendly? Yeah a little bit so tonight we we did a little bit of attack versus defence and again we narrowed off the pitch a little bit just to try and get some um, some shape work in and and making sure there's not there's not gaps, and we I spoke in private to a couple of the the players just about not switching off after they played the pass and things like that. So it does to a degree, but again, if you completely beat yourself up about a game that is a pre-season game with with only the pre-season sort of like um, friendly on on the line, then 
I don't think it, it matters too much. Would those be things that you would pick up on regardless of result? in terms of finding where the gaps are, seeing where things need to be spoken about. Yeah, definitely. So that that's, again, it's a good way of putting it, actually, Chris. So what you do is um, every game you're looking at themes, you're looking at areas where you think you, um, you've done things well in areas where you think you can work on. And I think that's where you roll into the next week and that, that sort of informs the decision-making of the next session. Although we try and have general themes each week, you do then um, sort of hone in on those areas that you want to try and work on. Um, just to make sure it's fresh in the player's mind and fresh in the staff's mind. So, yeah, so there's an element of we're looking to cr- try and create a bit more in open play and we're looking to try and st- maintain compactness. So that's why we did that um, attack versus defence at the end just then in training. And it looked like hard work as well. Yeah, very, very hot, very sweaty. Um, and that, is, that came at the end of a good full hour and 10 minutes worth of work that sits underneath that. So, again, that's where those um, bits of quality come in when you're, when you're fatigued and if you can maintain your quality... That's when you win win the games or in the instance of Saturday, hopefully you don't lose the game in the last few minutes of it. Our goal was a second half equaliser after they'd scored from the penalty spot. Los Rawlings picked up on a mistake, went through, hit the post and was there to, to tap over the line. No surprise that he was the quickest to react out of both sides there, really. Yeah, Los, um, I could sit here all night and praise him to honest you. He's a, he's a class lad, deep down, um, hard working. And um, he's the same off the pitch as he on, is on the pitch. And so, again, without um, going overboard for him, he knows how we feel about Loz and we tell him, we tell him in private. But um, when he come on on Saturday, he, he ups the tempo. He gets up to match speed really quickly. He didn't give a minute, um, anyone a minute's rest. And the goal, he does that really well. He's, he's a very quick lad across the ground. So he, he often catches people out and he does that out to win run very well. And um, that's what he did on Saturday. And he, he took his chance pretty well, to be honest with you, because it was a bit of a bouncing bomb when he first intercepted it. But yeah, he finished it well. How do you think the boys handled the step up in opposition in general? Because I thought it was a relatively solid team performance. Yeah, um, I can't really remember any shots on goal. I can't remember there were any opportunities that were really clear cut. And either manager would sit there and think, oh, we had we had tons of them. But um, for the 90 minutes, we were compact and we moved the ball pretty well. I think there was times in the second half it moved better than in the first half. But again, Kozel made loads of changes as well, just like we did. And so it was a really good competitive 90 minutes. And the step up in quality which essentially gets shown in the mistake. So if, you, if you're if you not switched on all of the time, and um, we gave a penalty away when, I'm sure you won't mind me saying it, Patson was superb on that, right back for the first 50, 50 minutes. And he's one, one slip up is the way he gave the penalty away and they score from it. And then, Obviously, in the second half, we, we're not set when we've got possession and the lad goes in and scores when he gets dispossessed. So that just shows you the quality. In other games, you get away with that, but not on Saturday. We had a couple of youth team players come through as well. Zach Tallinn played and Cam Welsh played. How did you think they got on specifically? Um, really well, actually. So the boys there were playing up against really experienced step four, step five players. And they've, they've been around the block. They know how to use their bodies and how to move the ball and how to uh, manipulate their speed to knock people off. Um, they're balanced so Cam coming at left back and again he's really steady and what I like about Cam is he he digs in and he gets himself um, up up towards his his uh, winger and doesn't give him a, a, a second of time and then Zach, Zach gets on the ball and he's got lovely feet and again so he, he didn't look out of place certainly and I think we touched on it um, two episodes back now where um, they form part of our squad now so we're really comfortable with using them. Speaking of people after the game people who'd not seen the youth team very much Zach in particular caught their eye um, and I know that the people who do have a bit of familiarity with the youth team were impressed with Cam as well. So really pleased to see them kind of step up, even though it was, you know, a friendly, but it was against a very good side and actually slotted into a pretty good swing side as well. And as I said, we keep we keep harping on about it where we're a settled side now. We've got similar faces and we're all comfortable being around each other. So again, it, 
it's a second pre-season friendly after four months away and I think the performance levels were pretty good and um, what you'd like to see now is we build on that as we progress towards hopefully that first game. Next game is against Harborough Town away this coming Saturday. Tell us a bit about the story of this game. We're going over there for a couple of specific reasons. I'll sit here Chris and I know very little about them. Um, they're obviously at Step 5 League but in the UCL which um, splits the Midlands in, in heart, East and West and so um, they, they play on a 3G, so we got linked with them through John and a, a contact, and we we obviously just had that conversation about going over. And what we do is we play against new teams. We've got very little um, background information about how they play, so it's just a good in-your-face sort of test of, of going over and dealing with a team that you don't know what what style of play or how they play, um, and on the 3G pitch as well, which gives us some exposure on that. By the time we go over there, we'll be a week further on in our preparation from last game. Another training session down, maybe two. Don't know yet. Maybe two down. Uh, what is it? I'm going to ask you this every week until we play the season. What is it you and John Woodward are looking for from this game? From the game again. So uh, it, it, I'll, I'll move away from sounding too overly cautious as as we progress over the season. I'm sure we will. But as a very minimum, um, we want to be um, compact. We want to be competitive. We want to be um, fluent in the attacking areas, and we want to come alive when we get our chances and take our shots. Um, again, so we'll use a range. We'll use a big squad again, and hopefully, you just see those little like, increments in tempo and those uh, qualities that the lads have definitely got as well um, already. But they just get drawn out a little bit as they get more match fitness. We'll go over there with a a strong team of coaches and staff around, and I, I want to focus a little bit in this week's episode on the people around you and John who make the football side of things happen because you don't do it on your own between the two of you. There are a team of coaches around and support staff as well. Um, and there are people around the club who don't get involved in the football side that we will definitely meet as we go through the season. But let's start with with John Woodward as well. You are joint managers, having both been assistants previously. What's the working dynamic between the two of you? Who? What's the, the kind of division of labour between our, our two managers? There isn't a set criteria that we both work from. We just both work together and we split it quite evenly. So I've known John a long, long time. And when we agreed to do it, we had to really say to each other, look, we're going to do this for the club. We're not going to do it for our own personal agendas. And um, yeah, it just seems to work where we just bounce off each other. We, we always come to a common decision and there's been no... Um, friction or anything like that we just talk it through so we spend a lot of time talking to each other and on a weekly basis if um, when John's back we'll both split the training in equal equal portions we'll both have discussions around the team and um, possibly I might do the, the more um, the texts and the communication throughout the week John will just say that's because he's a bit more of a technophobe than me yeah so I don't mind doing that side of it and John does a lot of the networking and talking to new players and things like that so once you put us both together um, we both just get on with the job as in hand if I were to split this next question into management and coaching, training, do you have different styles between the two of you? Well, yeah, certainly. So only through um, differences in experiences. So John's been um, coaching for a long, long time. And that's originally how I knew John when I was playing as a teenager. And obviously I know I played with his, his Callum as well, um, Callum Woodward. So John, John's been coaching for a long, long time. So John's picked up loads of different um styles of coaching loads of different drills and loads of different sessions and um his objectives and things like that over the years he's been doing it a long long time whereas I'm more I'm newer to it and so certainly I'll, I'll be going through my my courses at the same time as um John's going through his UEFA B at the minute and certainly there's different styles to it but in in the end we most we just come together and we just produce what's best for the team feel free not to answer this one who picks the team uh, no, so it's, uh, it's not a trick question. So both of us generally <laughs> pick the team. What we end up doing is we have a 
we put forward our ideas both and um as i said we usually because we're working off the same page we're usually not a million miles away there's been no real contentious decisions that we've had to really iron out since we've took over so touch wood with a bit of luck long may it continue because it just seems to work at the minute and i really enjoy working with john so it's a good partnership you've got a couple of first team coaches around you jim and linton linton is a familiar face to everyone around the club jim i don't think i knew up until maybe this time last year so what can you tell us about the two of those what their style of coaching would be yeah so um as you mentioned linton a great character he's been around since again for a long long time and um, actually we've known both of them for a long time but lint um link brings a good amount of humor to the to the coaching he brings a good a good amount of presence to to what he says and really he just he just mucks in and gets on and um the lad lads feed off his energy so he's a really good person to have around and jim um jim's been really involved in sort of um saturday and sunday football for a long time actually he's run he's run his own teams and i think there's, there's been a big connection between some things lads playing for him on a sunday um and so again yeah so jim's been known and he knows a lot of the lads and Again, he's got, he brings himself a good amount of humour. He's a West Ham fan, so he has to take a lot of, um, digs and things like that. And so, yeah, they, they, they both just bring their own styles to it and they're an extra pair of hands and they're an extra pair of, um, really experienced eyes and, um, football brains on them as well. And Lid's got experience with a lot of the players from a Sphinx youth perspective as well. He's been very involved in our youth system over the years. So there are players in the first team who he knows really well from, from a previous life. Yeah. So as you mentioned, when, when, a lot of us were playing in the junior ages. We all knew Lint, and so Lint's networking, as well as Jim's, is really is really strong around the local area. So there's a, if there's any gaps that we might be looking to fill, they've always got their own um, recommendations. Damien Morgan and Lee McClay, only team in the division with two goalkeeping coaches. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, a little bit like Lint and Jim, they they come together, and, and and as mentioned, me and John as well, we seem to work in pairs in this club. So Damien's been around for a good few years now, certainly since I've come back to the club, and. He does a lot of work as well with um, Derby ladies and things like that. So he splits his time actually. So he's, Damien's more here on the match day and he supports the goalkeepers in their warm-ups. And what Damien does really well is gives, gives his, um, his insight in a really calm way. And he's a really calming figure to have around. And Lee came in last year. I think he's working at GMP. And again, he does a lot more of the training with Crossy and with Jude of a, of a training session. Um, he does a lot of coaching. If you speak to him, he's coaching all of the time. And so again, he brings fresh ideas and they're really calm people to have around. They don't, no, no airs and graces and they fit in really well. Yeah, it's nine o'clock now and he's been here all day apparently. So he has, yeah, tells you a little about. Yeah. Goalkeeping coaches are in a really difficult position because they have so few people within the club that they work with. So how much of Crossy's buy-in do you need to have a goalkeeping coach that works with him? Um, so certainly if the relationship didn't work, for for example, then Tom would have a really big say in it, but we've been really fortunate where the relationship does work. And I think what the goalkeepers will say to me on a weekly basis, um, or certainly on a fortnightly basis, is that they really appreciate the, the time spent with them by the goalkeeper coaches. Because I think in a lot of... Um, past training sessions certainly even when I've been here or at different clubs and things like that goalkeepers are there just to be shot at and I think what Crossy and the goalkeepers get at the club now is a, a real good hour to hour and a half every week where it's solidly working on their um, their skills their techniques um, and their goalkeeping and then they come over and join in at the end of the session so um, the goalkeepers have moved from being like a spare part to a really integral part to their own specialism and then um, it seems to work really well and Crossy enjoys it he tells me 
have you played in clubs where there wasn't a specialist goalkeeping coach? Yeah, so every club that I was at, there was very little in the way of goalkeeper coaching. So I think we were really fortunate to have two experienced ones and they, again, they split it and they have their own commitments. But um, it certainly it's improved the goalkeeping situation at the club no end. We've got a new addition as well, newish. Chris Packham come in. Fitness coach, should we call him? Is that what he's going to be? Yeah, so I think he's got um, this fancy title, which he, he won't thank me for, but I think he's uh, going to be the strength and conditioning coach. So Chris is really experienced and actually he knew John and Lee Nibs um, before that. And he's been to a couple of clubs with them too. And what Chris does is he do, he's really, uh, he's quite quiet, but when he does talk, it's meaningful. Um, and he works the lads really hard. And uh, as I said, he's, he's an expert in his field and really well qualified and what he does is he supports the the football side of it and gives his gives his opinion and his knowledge across about um, where to fit in certain exercises to make sure that their lads are working on some of their weaknesses or some of their areas for development. And then really on a training night, he's been a godsend because he, he splits apart the session for me and he takes the boys away and he, he does all these wonderful and um, weird exercises with them, which, which helps their core and things like that, which hopefully means that they're, they're better players on the pitch. So does he get given a block of a session where he's responsible for devising what happens in that time? Yeah, pretty much. So it can be as short as 15 minutes. It can be as long as 45 minutes he's done for us. Um, when we had the really large numbers, he would then have a third of the group and we'd have two thirds of the group and they'd rotate round. So it's, it's really easy to work with. Again, like all the lads that we've got here, all the stuff that we've got here, they just seem to fit in and it works and it helps to build what we're trying to build. If I'm not mistaken, the boys were sent a couple of times to Chris in previous seasons for some pretty intense workouts. Is that right? Yeah, he, he, he works out of a gym, um, the other side of, uh, other side of commentary. And it's like a, an industrial unit, which is a bit of a sweat box. It's a bit like the atmosphere, um, around the club tonight, very sweaty. And I think as footballers, what you end up realizing is that we're, we're pretty weak in some, some exercises and stuff like pull-ups and things like that. Um, push-ups, Chris can do stuff, stuff that I can only, uh, dream of being able to do. And some of the boys' techniques are, uh, leave a little bit to be desired, but, yeah, they, they're always really good sessions. They're, they're good for team building. So although they're really hard sessions, it's good for a bit of a laugh as well. He's someone we've used before and has been here through most of pre-season. What's the thinking behind making him an official part of the, the coaching setup here? It's it's really just to acknowledge the hard work that he's put into it. So there's just a, a very brief conversation, actually, where um, I wasn't sure of Chris's commitment. And so that's why it was more of a informal basis. But then um, when I found out that he does have some spare time on a Saturday... Um, he's a very busy man, but the Saturdays seem to be something where um, we, he could get more involved. And what we do is we just give him, make him feel a part of it. And so he's not just a, a sec afterthought. He is now part of the coaching team. And really, it's just to try and drive the team on on the pitch. Finally, we've got a couple of people who it, it's kind of unfair to put them here because of the work that they do outside of the football side of the club as well. But both of them are involved in the football side. And one of them in particular um, has been brought in to what you could call the coaching staff to an extent martin sutton has been kit man for a long time now but not many games because of the situation we've been in this year brought in about january february time um so you're going to have to enlighten us a little bit i could ask him but i'm going to ask you on the air what is the role of the kit man on a match day um it's most probably one of the most important jobs out of, out of a lot of them actually because uh Dave Ball did it last year and he was superb. He's so organised in what he does and he makes sure everything gets there. It's the away games. Um, when Dave's work started to um, sort of like increase and he wasn't always able to make the games, I did it for a couple of weeks. And I mean, I forgot the shorts at Boldmere. Um, I was forever forgetting the bottles or the um, CD. 
Um, and it's, it's a really stressful job actually, because you get there and you think I've, I need to have everything because the lads are counting on it when, when they turn up half an hour or 45 minutes later. So, um, yeah, so Dave, uh, Dave Ball, his work sort of, um, again, increased and his time that he was able to commit to it is decreased. So we asked Martin and Martin does everything around the club. You ask anyone involved with the club, he's here, he's here most days. He's, he's doing everything that you can imagine. And possibly we didn't want to over, overload him, but when we asked him, he seemed really keen to get involved and he knows all the boys really, really, really well. And so he will take everything that you can imagine that's needed just to provide, um, the guys with the, the equipment to go out and play a game of football. And so he's always there an hour before. He's always there an hour after. And then if you, um, if you speak to him during the week, he's always then either um, trips to the laundrette or putting stuff back up upstairs. And so it's most probably an extra three, four hours every week um, for one game and one training session that he puts in. So it's invaluable, really. What's the official manager's verdict on how well he's transitioned from supporter to being in the dugout representing the club? Yeah, really good. Yeah, so he, he's told me he's got to dig out some boots for the 3G on Saturday. So that'll be interesting to see because he tells me uh, they might not be the newest version of uh, the boots that, uh, that are out <laughs> at the minute. Um, but yeah, he's been fantastic. And I think we had some excellent comments last year. I think Romulus commented on how tidy everything was, how well we, we respected the, the dressing room. And I think that was, um, also another club said it as well. So little things like that, Martin takes real pride in. And sometimes the boys don't always see the work that goes into a role like that. But certainly as a staff, we appreciate it. Last but absolutely not least is, I think, probably one of the most important people in the club, Chaz Taylor, who I can only refer to as the secretary of absolutely everything. Focusing just on, on the football side of things, we've seen a little bit of what she does as, as the club secretary tonight. Her support is invaluable to you lot. Almost, I could echo the comments that I said about Martin a minute ago, where they are often thankless jobs that she's doing. They are they have to be um, perfect. There's no room for error because if you have any errors, there's, there's an opportunity of the club getting themselves into trouble. Um, and I'd say it's almost a full-time job where she's she's always on the phone or always doing something that is contributing to the team so I, I would not be able to do the job I wouldn't want to do the job because the amount of effort that goes into it is is unparalleled so whilst we're very fortunate that we can just turn up and then um, possibly at the end of the, the game or the next day switch off for a couple of hours until we move into the next time we meet up Sharon's always on the go so she's a she's a godsend and as I said like, like Martin as well we couldn't do it without him. So before I took the program away from her almost by force she was doing that as well and um, on a couple of occasions, I've done the, the away day match day secretary job as well. So I certainly appreciate what, what she does because I've seen the sheer volume of it. Um, and it's always nice to see. I think you'll, you'll echo this as the gaffer. The boys appreciate it as well. And that's what I think probably makes it all worthwhile for, for her and for the rest of us as volunteers. Yeah. And I think on a match day, you'll, you'll always hear Sean's voice the loudest. So she's not only the a member of staff, but she's the boys' biggest fan as well. So. As you said, I've done the, I've done the, uh, match day secretary, I think once last year when Sharon was away. And again, I wouldn't want to do it every week. And, um, me and John are always getting texts at 10 past two saying that she needs a team sheet because we even forget that. So she's always on our cases, but it's in the right way. And she keeps everyone on their toes. And if you would have been up here at training tonight, you would have seen that she's here again, just, just supporting the lads. Thanks again to Tomo for this week's chat. That little whistle-stop tour of the coaching staff barely scratches the surface when it comes to the people who keep clubs like ours functioning. We'll meet many more along the way as we go through the season. And that's what makes non-league football so special and why we need to open our gates again. As a club, we're fortunate to be in a position we're in. Many are worse off and we have to worry about them at this stage. But we're no more able to sustain this break 
than the non-league game as a whole. When restrictions elsewhere have been lifted, it's frustrating that a situation in which we can easily social distance outdoors has been ignored right up to the 11th hour. That's all for this week. Sean and I will be back in seven days or so to keep you right up to date with Sphinx's preparations for the new season. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Commentary Sphinx podcast, a Sphinx football production. For more of our podcasts, visit sphinxfootball.com.